My wife and I are watching the show, This Is Us. And I bet you anything, if you are a foster or an adoptive family, you're doing the same thing. It's a great show. And if you're not watching it, I highly recommend it. Even if you aren't a foster or an adoptive family, they touch on so much more than that. That's just one of the subplots or sub-themes that runs through the, the show. And the reason why I bring it up is because a couple of episodes ago, there was a great scene where this one character who was adopted when he was a baby, straight from the hospital. He's an adult in this scene, and he's married, and he has two biological children. And he tells his wife, or he had told his wife previously, I just know that we're supposed to foster kids. It's just everything about him was compelled to do this. And so they finally decide to do it, and they get licensed to foster, and then they have their first placement, and it's a young teen girl. And so you can imagine the upheaval in the home as this girl who obviously has had a rough life already enters into their family and into their home. And he's standing there with the deer in the headlight look as he's talking to his wife. And he said, you know, when they told me that the SAT was going to be hard, and then they told me that uh, college was going to be hard, and then they told me that my first job was going to be hard, and, and none of those things were hard. So when they told me that fostering was going to be hard, I really didn't believe them. But I'm finding out that this is the hardest thing that I've ever tried to do. And I'm sitting there listening to that scene, and I'm like, that nails it. I tell you, anyone who takes the step to foster children, to bring a child that's coming from a hard, difficult place and integrate them into their family and in their, into their home, they realize very quickly that it is one of the hardest things, if not the hardest thing they've ever done. Hi, you're listening to His Hands, His Feet podcast, and I'm your host, Kenneth Camp. And one of the reasons why I do this podcast is to equip those who want to live a life on mission. And if you're going to be a foster parent or an adoptive parent, then you're definitely going to live a life on mission. Today's interview is with a couple, Phil and Crystal Murray and Mindy Lee. And the reason why I'm introducing this to you today and bringing it to you is because they are in the process of beginning a preschool focused on serving those who foster children. And not just foster families, but also those families who are underserved, or maybe a lower income family. And there's a really compelling story that they share about the reason why they're starting this preschool. But then they also go into just the nitty-gritty of the preschool, the trauma-informed care environment that they will provide, the quality of education that they will also provide, and so on. And so I want you to hear this. And if you're not in the Austin, if you are in the Austin area and you're a foster family, I want you to know about this resource that's coming soon. And if you're not in the Austin area, I know that this could possibly compel you to begin the conversation in your community to do something like what they're doing. So here it comes. I'm excited for you to hear this interview with Phil and Crystal Murray and the uh, director of the preschool that they have hired named Mindy Lee. I'm sitting here with some new friends of mine, uh, Mindy Lee and Phil and Crystal Murray. And we're going to be talking about a preschool, which is slash nonprofit, that they're getting things off the ground over the next few months. And I think it's very interesting, the approach that they're taking. So I wanted to sit down and talk to them about how they're doing this. Uh, but before we get into that, I uh, just want to give you an opportunity to just say hi, and we'll get a little bit of your, we're going to get your story, and then we'll hear from Mindy here in just a few minutes. But glad to, uh, that you're joining me this morning. Thank, thank you for having us on here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm Phil Murray. Crystal. Crystal. And, and I'm Mindy. And we should say also we have we have three kids. Okay. Um, eight and a half year old, seven year old. This is 2017, but that's the age yep. then. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then, uh, then a two and a half year old daughter. That's great. Ages. So two sons and a, and a daughter. 
Fantastic. Well, let's start off with um, a little bit, Phil and Crystal. Y'all tell us y'all's story a little bit about how you got involved with foster care and then, and then also your why you wanted to do this with the preschool. Sure. Well, I guess I'll, I'll start. Um, so, as I said, we had two, had two sons. We moved to Austin. Yes, we had one son. One son we moved to Austin. We had a second one shortly thereafter. And at some point, you know, we needed to, to decide as a family if God was calling us to grow our family or not. Along those lines, Crystal particularly had become interested in um, foster care and adoption. We had many other families at our church that were doing this, and we thought, you know, maybe this is something God would call us to. I wasn't, I wasn't so sure. And so that, that led to a series of discussions and learning also about foster care. We even went to some classes um, ten weeks or so of classes through our church and um, through a foster agency. Ultimately, became certified. But I still wasn't convinced. I actually took a day off work and to just pray and think about it. And kind of miraculously, in the first twenty minutes of my day off work, God led me to James. Uh, I just randomly, really chose the book of James to read. And um, of course, in chapter one, um, the end of the chapter, it says the test of true religion is this: um, caring for orphans and widows in their distress. And I had heard that verse. I knew that was in the Bible. It was amazing to see God lay that verse in front of me. And it was clear that he was using that in that moment to say, Phil, I I want you and your family to care for orphans. And this is a yes. Whatever you were looking for today, just to be clear, this is a yes. And so I was, of course, caught off guard. It was very clear to me then. What God was calling us to do, and it was just—it was just a matter of, of obeying. And so, brought brought that news home back to Crystal, and uh, we went from there. And maybe you can kind of pick up and mm-hmm. talk about our, our story there, Foster. Yeah. <clears throat> so one of our major issues in fostering is childcare, since we both work, and mm-hmm. we knew that we wanted our foster kiddo to be younger than our biological children, and so that meant she was going to be right young, right preschool daycare age. As we were starting the process, we knew that was an issue, and through the foster care system, child care is paid for mm-hmm. for these foster kiddos through the Texas Workforce Commission, and preschools can decide to take that those payments or not take those payments. And there's a lot of schools that don't take the payments because the, the payment is typically less than what they're asking other families to pay. And so within Central Austin, there was really a paucity of good preschools that took payments that would care for these foster kiddos. And so when we had our first placement, a little girl who was about five months old, we were blessed to fairly quickly find a preschool that we had been at previously. And then um, they took her for a few days and then we moved her over. And when we got our second placement, um, two days after that little girl left, she went to that same preschool, but then eventually we were able to move her over to a preschool that our boys were at and very temporarily had them at the same school, all three of them. And that second little girl was with us for 10 months. And at the end of her time with us, she was going back to mom. We talked to the director of that preschool and told her that we were taking a little break from fostering, but then we would plan on doing it again in the near future. And she said, great, she would love to help us anytime um, just to keep her updated. And so we took a short break and then came back to her a few months later and said, hey, we're going back active and we anticipate we'll have a placement fairly soon. And her response, unfortunately, was one of, she said that she was 
that's not the direction that their school was going any longer and then they weren't taking those payments that um, our second little girl was hard and required a lot of one-on-one care and it was challenging in the classroom um, and they just weren't doing that anymore and and the you know this was of course hard for me to hear um, Crystal calls me on her drive to work you know, after this upsetting conversation with yeah. the same director who months earlier had said, hey, we're, mm-hmm. we're happy to do anything we can um, for you. And, you know, it's worth noting this same school was teaching our boys the gospel. This mm-hmm. was a, a church-based um, preschool. They, they knew Jesus. They were teaching our kids about Jesus. It was actually pretty academically sound as uh, preparing kids for you know, kindergarten, getting them and learning the alphabet, pre-reading kind of stuff. And so it, it was a great place and a place we've been happy with. And so I, I learned that morning about about this. Crystal calls him in, in tears on, on her drive to work saying, you know, what does this mean about you know, where our, our, our little girl will go? And so I, you know, I said, well, let me, let me go over there during my lunch hour. I, I worked fairly close to the center. I said, let me pop over there at lunch, have a conversation with the director, and maybe you know, kind of work this out, right? I was like, surely something could be worked out. Typical and, guy, right? Sorry? You were a typical <laughs> guy response. Yeah. I was, I'm going to fix, fix this it, now. Fix yeah. <laughs> I was going to fix it. Yeah, it was just a misunderstanding. But uh, unfortunately, there was, a misunderstanding. there was not a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And I sat down with the director. And, you know, she was not unkind, but, but she just repeated and reiterated the same things Crystal mentioned, that our daughter was disruptive. And, and, I, and I said, really, you know, we mm. never got a call from you about that. We never had a teacher pull us aside in the day, never a note home. We experienced her as just a, you know, one and a half, one, one and a half year old kind of feisty little girl, but nothing right. crazy. No one, none of the professionals engaged with her, you know, would say she had any kind of serious behavioral issues, nothing like that. And then she also went on to address the financial piece. And I, I told her, I said, well, we could, we could supplement the state payments. We could mm-hmm. even just pay directly. That's not a primary motivator for us. Right. Um, I said, we just want her to be in a good place. We love her being here with our, our sons. And she said, well, unfortunately, that's just not a direction we want to go. And, and actually told us that any, um, any future kids we would, need, we would want to bring, they would have to interview first. Mm. And, and I, I, don't, I don't know about you, Kenneth. I know you have a, a young son. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our, our boys, the same boys that went there, if you'd interviewed them at 18 months of age, right. you probably wouldn't let them leave, that, leave the house, you know? Like, uh, so so uh, I, I, was, I was shocked, and uh, who knows if they ever implemented that policy. But it was, it was clear to us that this was not going to be uh, a place for our next foster children. And started really, uh, frankly, just being a, a little bitter and frustrated and, um, at that. And I think really kind of repented over time of that and said, you know, the reality is not every center is going to be set up. Mm-hmm. Um, we think this one was certainly the threshold, the tolerance threshold was too low for them, right? And mm-hmm. um, but not, every, not every center is going to be set up or desire to take these kids for right or wrong reasons. And so that, that led to Crystal thinking more about this. So the just the paucity of, of schools in Central Austin that would take these kids. Um, and that means few. Sorry, she's, yes. she's the big word user in our family. Um, so few number. It's a great word. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, keep going. I'm going to use it later. <laughs> it was... There, there are very few schools in Central Austin that are Christian-based that accept these state payments. My sense was that these there was a need in our city for, for somebody to care for these kids well. 
And so I knew that there were a good number of people in our church that did care for these kids and would come alongside us in some way, shape, or form and and help us do something. And so we started talking with our church, and we were directed to... For the City Center, which is a nonprofit housing other nonprofits, and um, have started the process, or at the time started the process of getting a preschool started to serve low income kiddos and foster kids. Which that's a, a fascinating story, and uh, you know, it makes you wonder how many families have ex- had the same experience. You know, because I mean, you had the means to supplement or even pay, and you could have put your, you know, your child. And your, all your children, any place, but a lot of a lot of families can't do that, whether they're foster or, or not. You know, they're just low income, right? So, and, and I'll and I'll also add to and to additionally clarify, as Crystal mentioned, these these payments um, to preschool centers they come from the Texas Workforce Commission, and I think most states have something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, the program is housed there because actually most of the kids whose preschool is supplemented. Uh, and are paid for by the state mm-hmm. um, are, in, are in families that are just struggling financially that are, are returning to work but probably in, most often in a lower income job and so don't have a way necessarily to pay for their kids mm-hmm. child care and so that's the same payment vehicle and the more we learned about it we realized there's actually more kids in that category than there are foster kids out there that need full-time care yeah. and so this division started to broaden to this idea of, of low-income families and kids as well as the foster kids and so it was interesting, as Crystal mentioned, before the City Network and our church said, put an advisory board together. You know, we, we had an initial business model and plan. Our our concept and continues and, and is our concept today is, is we wanted to build a financially self-sustaining um, Christian-based preschool that holds a good 50% or so of their seats or capacity for kids in this category, as opposed to the few preschools that do accept these payments very often will limit these these uh, government pay slots to one or two slots per classroom mm-hmm. right. because they're they're trying not to impact their revenue too much and it's understandable. Sure, but we just felt like there had to be a way to build a model that would that would work um, long term, and so that led us to building an advisory board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, Mindy was one of our one of our early board members right. um, that came on there. Get into a little bit more of how you're setting this up. You, you described a little bit of the financial model, and if you want to get more detail into that, I'm going to bring Mindy into the conversation sure. because, as you just said, Phil, she was part of your advisory board. Tell us, Mindy, what your role is now and, and why you decided to step into that. Yeah. So um, right now I am the director of Petra Preschool, um, and we I'll kind of share where I came from first and then kind mm-hmm. of where we're headed. So I, when I met Phil and Crystal Murray, they, uh, we met at church at a lunch and I at that time was working for a private preschool in North Austin and um, I had been a preschool teacher, a pre-K teacher, and then at that time a curriculum coordinator. So I helped a lot of curriculum implementation and behavior management, classroom management things and coaching the teachers and as well as help run the school wherever I Really enjoyed my job, really felt like God had called me to that place and to the team that I had there. And um, when I met Phil and Crystal, they shared this vision. At that time, it wasn't Petra Preschool, but it was this preschool that was going to be serving these families that were in need. And my heart really drew towards that. And I think my a lot of my, I guess, life 
I felt like I've always wanted to serve foster kids in mm-hmm. some way, shape, or form. I don't know what that looked like and how God was going to call me to that. And they um, had me over one night and kind of shared the vision and, and asked me to be part of the advisory board and prayed about that and was really excited to join um, the board. And I, I think I was on the board for about a year and helped with a lot of you know, talking about curriculum and what that would look like in the school and a lot of the startup things, which is mm-hmm. like coming up with a name and, and a lot of fundraising. And it was really neat to be a part of that. And after a year, they proposed this position of the director uh, position. And again, which totally caught you off guard. Totally yeah. off guard. I had no <laughs> idea that that was what God was wanting sure. me to do at that time and uh, prayed about it and sought out some counseling. And I just, I. I felt so sure that that's where I was supposed to be and where I am right now. And so I left my job with that private preschool and just kind of jumped right in. And it has been so fun. <laughs> it's been really neat to be a part of this organization, this school, just everything it is. Um, I mean, to the point where I have friends and family that are like, Mindy, I think you're made for this position. Like, this is something, this is your dream job Mm. at that time. um, I didn't know that, and God is revealing that over and over and over Mm. again, just kind of affirming every step of the way um, as we move forward, and I'm just so encouraged by that, and so yeah, so right now we're, we're working on getting a facility, that's kind of one of the big pieces we're working on, and kind of finishing up our capital fundraising piece, and just kind of talking to just different people who are interested in teaching and people who want to be part of our team as well as families who want to be who want to enroll their children here and so that's been really fun and so yeah so a little bit about Petra something that's really unique to a lot of schools that also gets me excited about it is um, we're gonna have a mixture of children diverse group of backgrounds and with children in the foster care system they typically encounter trauma, abuse, Mm -hmm. neglect, and something as I've been um, engaging with other organizations and other social workers, you know, they've really asked me to immerse myself in understanding that better. And so I've learned a little bit more about TDRI, and it's called Trust-Based Relational Intervention. And it started by uh, Dr. Karen Purvis and Dr. David Cross at TCU. And I kind of just started looking it up, and I was able to get into their practitioner training in Fort Worth um, in September, and that was amazing. Mm -hmm. I learned so much, and I'm excited to have these tools uh, to be able to provide for the teachers to have and the staff to have in the classroom so that we would be able to be equipped to know how to care for these children, understand these children, and see it through this trauma lens, um, where they're coming from, because we will never know what they've been through, but um, kind of using these this intervention to understand and to, and to show, just kind of create this nurturing environment for them so that they can succeed and grow and develop well. I was also thinking along those lines, maybe interesting, first of all, for you to share how this vision of also a part-time social worker on staff, mm-hmm. where that came from. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, because that's great. You know, first of all, I want to applaud that y'all are really, like you used the word immersing, immersing yourself into the trauma-informed care, because not only preschools, but just anybody that works with children, 
if they understand that, you know, churches, schools, whatever. So that's that's really fantastic because that's going to affect, I would imagine, who you hire as teachers. And, and so that takes you yes. to this question here. It's not only do you want to have kind of your typical model where you have a director and some teachers, but you all want to have some other people around, right? Yeah, yeah. So we may be a little naive coming into this, but have some idea that these kiddos may be challenging because of where they're coming from, the things that they've experienced in the past. And so um, one of the things that I, I think will be helpful is having a social worker on staff. And that social worker can help support teachers, help support families and connect them with local resources. And then hopefully we'll also be able to help kind of train kiddos who have not socialized really well or have a challenging time in the classroom. And in small groups, help them learn how to interact better with with other kiddos. And I think the the critical thing is really going to be our teachers and our teachers being being able, willing, and, and trained in how to deal with with kiddos that that come from hard places. And in order for us to support those teachers well, we need other resources that we wouldn't that a typical preschool would not have. And I think that a social worker can help provide those additional resources and support for them in order to help care for these kiddos well. Yeah. And, and that idea was really birthed. I think Crystal had a lot of you know, wondering thoughts about this, and the idea was birthed as Crystal and one of our early advisory board members, Courtney Berlin, talked to this concept. Courtney, I guess, has her master's in, in social work and had done... I guess they would call it an internship mm-hmm. at a, a preschool that did have a, a good number of, of lower income families and kids there. And though it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a Christian based gospel centered school, she still was able to witness how, how effective, how helpful those, those mm-hmm. social workers uh, were there. And so trying to learn from the, the best of what's out there, the TBRI that Mindy mentioned, you know, social work on staff. And we know that the underpinnings of, of the gospel and that um, Christ has saved us uh, in spite of, of our sin or our struggle and our imperfections. You know, we think teachers that, that approach um, kids in, these, in this kind of situation with that same approach towards them and showing them love and grace, um, we think is... Is, uh, is really unique and, and um, special and, and uh, can only be provided, frankly, by, by people who have mm-hmm. uh, been saved by Christ and understood understood that for themselves. And um, that's why we're not just trying to create another kind of for-profit preschool out there, with, uh, especially because we've had people ask, well, gosh, why don't you just start this as a business, mm-hmm. um, you know, a side business? But, but that's not our desire. Our desire really is to, we could talk more about this in a few minutes, but our desire really is to engage um, the local church and community in this with this population of kids in a way that just isn't happening um, a lot right now in our country. No, that's good. You know what I'm hearing you, you guys describe is you're you're developing as far as on the relational side mm-hmm. of things as a safe environment. And it's not only safe for the kids, where they, you know, like if they're coming from a trauma background where they can feel safe in their environment, but also for these families, whether they're a low-income family or a foster family, a lot of times what happens is that they're misunderstood because, you know, their kids have all kinds of behavior, right? But to be able to, as a family, like me with my fostering family background, to know that the teachers and the director are going to understand, and that's what you were describing in you know, your initial experience, is that they just didn't understand, right? Right. Yes. You know, that was a very sad response. And it was just because they weren't informed. And so this is going to be an environment where everybody's informed and they understand. And it's like if my kid, whether it's my biological kid or 
you know, a foster or adopted kid, whatever, if they're kind of like acting really crazy, you know, I don't have to be like ashamed or embarrassed or anything like that. You know, it, I know it's going to be understood at some level and then handled in a way that's that's good. So I think that's great. One one question we get, particularly in, I found particularly in group settings, we're talking maybe a few different people and we <clears throat> spend 45 minutes an hour talking to them, this question inevitably comes up. And it might be interesting to ask this back to Mindy. It's the mm-hmm. question of, um, remember only like only half, even a peak, maybe 55, 60% of the slots would be kind of mm-hmm. reserved for these kind of lower income families, families whose preschools paid for by the, by the state. Right. But the other half is just other conventional, like just sure. average families out there that want mm-hmm. a quality environment. And so the question that really comes up, like how, how will you give them comfort some of it, some of it is addressed by the social worker and all, but but just the general concern and question that I bet a lot of podcast listeners, particularly maybe moms, might have, like how how is this going to be a place that would bring my kid? Also, though they don't fit this category, because we need and and want those kids too. I mean, that's part of what makes it financially viable, and um, we want it to be a quality environment works for anything. So it may be interesting to ask that question, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, does that, does that make sense? Because that's come up multiple times. And so I if I'm, yeah, I think what I'm hearing you say is, so if I have a child that, you know, we're not a low-income family, it's not a foster child, uh, how will my child fit in this environment? Right. Because we absolutely need and want them. I mean, if mm-hmm. it's just all kids from a hard background, it's a very different dynamic than right. with a mixture. So how would you answer that? I, mean, I yeah. have an answer, but yeah, I'd love to hear yours. To. Yeah, so something that I've, other family, like parents that have come up to me and talked to me kind of within the church um, have said, hey, like I'd love, I've heard about Petra, I'd love to enroll my child and um, tell me about what it's going to look like. Who You're saying it's just foster kids, can my child enroll? And I said, of course. You know, this is a place where we're, I mean, like we're saying, it, it's going to be the foundation is the gospel and we are all children of God and we really want to set that culture of everyone who's there is we're not just here to like serve and, and give towards these the needy people but we all are broken and we really want to kind of walk alongside each other and be a community of family basically mm-hmm. to serve each other and to love each other and to embrace everyone's cultures and everyone's backgrounds and <clears throat> it doesn't necessarily mean that the foster kid's going to be our challenging behavior child could mm-hmm. be a child who's you know, has some sensory needs and they come from a dual mm-hmm. parent family. Like Absolutely. there's just, there are different instances. Um, so really that's kind of the basis is as I'm interacting with parents who will be enrolling their children kind of saying like, this is what our, our model is. This is who we are. And we want you to be a part of it, but I'm just letting you know that right. these are the children that are going to be here. If they're going to look different from your child, they might not look different from your child and they will be coming from different places, but with our trauma-informed care, our gospel-centered kind of curriculum slash, I guess, uh, way that we're going to live out the day, and we have a quality staff that I'm going to be handpicking and and our board will be handpicking to make sure that Mm -hmm. they're here on the same mission and want to serve each other in that way. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Was your well just what just from the trauma too? yeah just from the trauma aspect and you spoke to that Mindy I mean it could be sensory 
it's, which we all have, unless Marty, our friend, yeah. would say we all have sensory we challenges, processing <laughs> challenges. <laughs> yeah. Like I, was, I was distracted by earlier, but exactly. I didn't see that, that marker holder. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, those are the ones I had to go on Amazon and I like, bought out the entire Amazon supply. For me, it's, you know, it's, it's sound. You know? it's like if there's too much sound, then I, I start amping up. Yeah. And so we all have it. it kids from, you know, have been a very stable family environment can have those issues but then you got medical trauma you know like kids or maybe in NICU and stuff like that as you learned and or or there could be parents going through just a rocky time in their marriage or even divorce and that just rocks a little kid's world so having that kind of well-rounded approach Mm -hmm. to a preschool and that's what I would highlight. Yes, doing it for these kids that are underserved. But even if you're coming from a population that's not underserved, this is the best of both worlds. Yeah. I like me personally and my kid being a part of a diverse kind of culture. Mm-hmm. And so we, that, we, that's good. We do too. And, and mm-hmm. Nora will Nora will be will be at Petra Imagine at some point, right? And, um, because we want quality education for, and we've mm-hmm. we've seen kind of what the city has to offer, and there's some great places and. Um, but you know, living in Central Austin, there's also mm-hmm. not a lot of great places nearby. So yeah. we're excited, also just personally as a family. The irony for us is that I think just in terms of the care and the TBRI is that our oldest biological son would have benefited That's right. a lot more than like Norris. <laughs> seemingly, at least at this point, very well adjusted and yeah. doesn't really have any behavioral issues, but. Our oldest mm-hmm. yeah. could have greatly benefited from that. Still can, still can. Yeah. Not in preschool, then. No, not in yeah. preschool. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yes. And, and uh, speaking of oldest son, I can't wait for you to listen to this someday, and <laughs> you'll be laughing with us. <laughs> All right, we'll put that in there. <laughs> Another thing that I'm hearing is um, y'all want to provide a quality education for these kids. And, you know, like some preschools, just kind of, especially if it's kind of in a the clientele is lower income it's it's more like a daycare kind of environment but not only do you want to have this trauma-informed care but quality education you want to speak to that at all yeah so like you're saying you know we really want to it's i think typically with low-income kiddos they typically can't afford a high quality Right. education and so we really want to bridge that gap and be able to get them something that they could afford or be able to be a part of um, and so having our teachers a high quality staff you know it, I think we're right now using our lead teachers as teachers who would be able to implement a curriculum and that's a piece that I'm working on right now is um, a curriculum that's going to really get these children ready for kindergarten whether they are you know, in the infant classroom, and we're, we're singing songs that are very just intentional, and that we're really working on a lot of the social emotional interactions and building up their confidence up to the you know the toddlers, and we have the three year olds and the four year olds, and so yeah, I mean, I can go more sure. detailed into that, but I mean, I can. No, it's just that. good to point that out that yeah. it's it's a uh, an emphasis, and you're intentional about that because. A lot of times, uh, lower-income families, they don't have access to that. Mm. And, and that can be, a, and also at home, right. there's, there's that, you know, it's missing. You know, the children aren't being read to and things like that. And I think the, the critical thing about this is that there are statistics in Austin, and I think it's repeated all around the country, and kids in 
lower income neighborhoods, the gap between their kindergarten readiness and then other kiddos in the city who are in middle, upper middle income class uh, neighborhoods is huge. And so many of these kids in lower income neighborhoods are not ready for kindergarten. When they start out behind, they never catch up. Right. And so if we can get them early mm-hmm. and get them prepared for kindergarten and they don't fall behind, ideally they would mm-hmm. never fall behind at that point. And the other part of that is you mentioned those families a lot of times don't have the capacity or don't know that they need to be reading at home. Mm-hmm. Talk, just talking about environment. And so if we can do that, then maybe we can kind of educate other families mm-hmm. to do that also. And right. these are the things that need to happen at home that are not hard things, mm-hmm. but they were never, they had never seen that in their lives. They don't see other people in their neighborhoods doing that. And so it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it, you know, it brings me also back to your reference, Crystal, to the neighborhood you know, differences and, and opportunity differences. It, it kind of reminds me again of, of one of the reasons why we took the next step from just kind of having this the, the story, this this kind of negative experience. Um, we could have just left it at that. And, and in many things in our life, that's what happens. You know, mm-hmm. bad experience somewhere. Maybe we write a, a negative Yelp review or something, and then right. then move on. Um, not not necessarily in a preschool. You know, go to a restaurant and bad sure. experience, yep. and you just move on. Um, in this case, though, we really we really felt compelled to do something about it, largely because as we started looking into it, we realized there weren't. Um, many schools, churches, organizations um, addressing this need, and so um, many many church ga- church church based preschools have moved to like a Mother's Day out model, which is right. is fine. It, it's a great model, but it, it doesn't address the need of like a, a single working mom or a, mm-hmm. a, a couple who both work who want to be involved in foster care but don't know how that would work right. from a from a, a childcare preschool perspective. And so um, as we started just scouring the internet, looking at Big churches and churches we knew around the country, we we just did not find we did not find preschools out there. Mm-hmm. When we did, it was again more geared towards maybe their affluent population or, right. um, as I mentioned, Mother's Day Out program. And so one of one of our desires would be not not only to see Petra launched, but to see maybe um, by you know. By God's grace, see this see this thrive mm-hmm. and be an example to other Christians, other churches um, in Austin, even around the country, right. to see this as a really strategic way to engage engage their community. Right, most churches have some underutilized child care type of space, child right. ready space right. um, during the week that can be used, and we just think there's a huge opportunity here. Uh, you know, and, and beyond that, it may be that. It may be that someone isn't um, doesn't feel called to help the community in this way, but there might be something else out there that they've dreamed of and thought should happen. And, mm-hmm. and another great outcome for us in this would be um, for our story to encourage other people to start things and address community needs. Um, you know, when they encounter them, not just encountering them, but in, encountering them and then trying to um, develop solutions and build a team of people around them to do that. So. 
Oh, that's, I'm glad you said that. It's well put, too, because I'm sitting here thinking both you guys and Mindy three years ago or four years ago, you would have never imagined oh, yeah. that you were going to start this and you were going to be the director. <laughs> and, and that's how things happen a lot of times. And we're like, wow, I, I can see back now how God's been yeah. orchestrating my yeah. my path and the steps in my life. And he knew that the day he led me to James 1 to get us down the path to foster. Oh, sure. He yeah. knew that all this would come. No, it, and, and it only this, took him 20 minutes, right? That's right. <laughs> that's right. And, and the story, you know, I, I guess I guess you could say there's a good ending, so to speak, in the story for us personally. We did find care ultimately for that third foster daughter um, who, uh, her name, that was Nora. And she came to us when she was three months old and we were able to adopt her um, just just past two years old. Mm -hmm. And so she's been about adopted member in our family now for almost a year and so we're still very much in preschool mode ourselves. sure and beyond that our, our commitment to this organization is long term um, not just as founders but ongoing board members very very excited about what's to come was there any other thing that you like uh, those that are listening to know about what you're doing yeah, I mean, I think there's some really, besides all the business model stuff and the education, there's some really fun things that we can do to serve these kids and serve these families. And mm-hmm. to some degree, the ideas are never ending. Um, and we'll probably continue to, to go on as we yeah. as we start up and, and see what the needs are of these kiddos. But that's the fun thing about starting this is that we can kind of do whatever we want to. True. And so there's some, some ideas that I've been having in terms of ways to help these kiddos. And I think a lot of families have a hard time getting their kids to the doctor's office in the middle of the day to Mm -hmm. have their well checks and have vaccines and most of these kiddos at this point have insurance that are that are being cared for under the texas workforce commission they're going to have medicaid and so they have access to care they just can't get there get there that's right and so if we can find a pediatrician who loves these kiddos and is willing to after hmm. hours at the end of the day and see them when parents are doing pickup then they can mm-hmm. get their well checks and they can get their vaccines and we can potentially have a dentist come in and do the same thing and you can have physical therapists and occupational therapists come in and screen these kiddos a lot of times parents just don't know that their kiddos may be behind may have some needs that can be addressed and that can be improved upon and so we can get somebody in there to screen those kiddos on a regular basis something else that i would love to have is kind of uh you mentioned the reading at home a lot of these kids just don't have books at home so you could do a monthly book program where these kids get to take pick out their favorite book and take a book home every month and so there's just a lot of little ways that we can love them and make their life and make their parents' lives better. That's great. And show them the love of Christ. Our mission statement uh, talks about showing God's love to to these these children and their families in Austin. So by providing care, support, education. So if people want to get in touch with you guys or want to find out more information, what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Uh, They can go to our website, www.petrapreschool.org, and we have a contact page. They can just email there, and there's also a phone number there, too, if they want to call. And they can give online if they'd like, as we raise money to start it. But as we said, it should be financially self-sustaining after the launch. And um, very, very excited about what's to come. That's right. And we didn't get into that. But um, I think they can get information about that, right, as far as uh, the model that your financial model you're using, the nonprofit versus profit. And at this stage of the game, if they want to support what you're doing, they can. Absolutely. That'd be great. Well, thank you so much for taking time to sit down. I'm excited about what you all are doing, and I really think it's going to work well. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for the time. Well, I do think that this is going to work well, not just because of the passion that Phil and Crystal and Mindy have for what they're doing, but because it is a a need that is in every community around the country, uh, not only to serve foster families as it can be difficult and challenging, as we heard in the interview, but also families who are underserved because of maybe a lower income or, or for whatever reason. And so if you are in the Austin area, keep uh, an eye out and an ear open for the launch date for Petra Preschool. And you're going to be able to, as we shared, uh, be able to get in contact with them. And I'll have that link that you heard Mindy share in the show notes for this podcast, along with just the uh, some highlights from the interview. And you can get to that by going simply to kennethacamp.com slash episode 36. That's kennethacamp.com slash episode 36. And you can get, again, the show notes, some highlights from the interview, and then contact information. And if you're not in the Austin community, I encourage you to take to heart what Phil was sharing and talking about in general, that when you see a need, that you really take seriously the possibility that maybe God's calling you to step into that void. And I know that these guys would if you decide to do something like what they're doing, they would love to talk to you and share things that they have learned over the past year. I would ask you to do one thing for me. If you enjoy this podcast, if you will go to iTunes and subscribe and then also do a rate and review that will bring more attention and more traffic to the podcast and that information on exactly how to do that and the link directly to it is available also in the show notes for this podcast. Thank you for joining me here at His Hands, His Feet. Until next time.